I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. A new survey shows that back to school costs are rising and have parents worried. So is school in this country really free? Fines for the most dangerous driving offences are set to double. But is that enough of a deterrent? And ahead of another busy bank holiday weekend for Dublin Airport, Aer Lingus and the DAA were up in front of the Oireachtas and it wasn't all good news. We are being um, told to do mandatory cancellations, particularly from Amsterdam uh, and from Heathrow, to reduce uh, our flights uh, and the number of flights we had planned. Join the conversation on Twitter with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Parents have a lot to be dealing with this summer as higher and higher bills arrive every month. And while the kids are now off for the summer holidays, uh, September isn't far away. And with it, the expenditure of a new school year. And a new Bernardo survey shows just how much that's worrying people. 69% of primary school parents are worried about the costs, with three quarters of secondary school parents. For a first-year pupil, the average cost is now €814 Euro to return to school and get all the basics. Well, for more on this, I'm joined by Minister of State at the Department of Further and Higher Education, Niall Collins, the CEO of Bernardo, Suzanne Connolly, parenting journalist, Jen Hogan, and I'm joined on Skype tonight by People Before Profit TD, Mick Barry. Uh, well, first off on this subject, I want to talk to Suzanne Connolly of Bernardo's because, Suzanne, it's your survey that's out today that really a lot of people seeing details of it will say, I can relate to that um, when it comes to the rising costs of going back to school. Absolutely. Over 1,100 parents contributed to this survey. 54% of them had children in primary school and 46 had children in secondary school. And when parents are telling us that they're feeling very stressed feeling anxious, some are saying they're not sleeping, some are worried about being able to bring their children back to school, in a, you know, so children will feel happy when they go back to school. And also some are actually saying that the government is not helping them enough. And we're calling now on the government to have free school books, to have affordable uniforms and to end the requirement for voluntary contributions. Uh, Suzanne, on this... Um issue around, I suppose, what you're looking for government to do. And we're going to hear from Niall Collins shortly. We did get an announcement around the back to school allowance. Um, what does Bernardo's think of that €100 Euro increase that's been afforded to parents who qualify for the back to school allowance? Well, in Bernardo's, we really welcomed that. We thought it was a good move by the government. However, what the parents who contributed to our survey tell us, and 24% of them were getting the back to school allowance, was that it isn't enough. And also other parents were saying who don't qualify, that they really feel the government needs to do more for them. And some are saying they'd like the government to increase the threshold. Others are saying, just give us more support. School is not free for our children and we're feeling really stressed and worried. 
Jen, I want to come to you um, as a parent, and I know, look, you've, you've written about it, you, you have seven children yourself, mm -hmm. you know more than many others that, that costs afforded to each child and them returning to school in September. Just how crippling do you think is it this year for many parents? I mean, it is, it's hugely crippling. It's crippling every year. This is the, we are talking about this same topic year on year, asking for the same supports, asking for the same help. Parents, especially after today's report, getting in touch with me, repeating much of what you're saying, Suzanne, across the board, not just uh, parents who receive the back to school allowance, but also parents who receive nothing. And they say that this year they've never been so worried. But it is something that has been going on year and year and it's never dealt with. So it's not really a surprise to find that in the middle of a cost of living crisis, the parents are even more worried than usual. I was looking at the figures there, the 814, was it for a yeah, first year? Yeah, that's right. That's for a first year That student. doesn't even, that obviously doesn't take into account an iPad school. So if you've got a student who's starting in an iPad school and they have to foot that, or their parents have to foot that initial cost to start with, you're getting into much, much higher figures. So, I mean, taking into account, obviously, averages, it's, it's not even reflective of some of the huge costs that parents have. And they're making huge sacrifices already. Mm. I mean, one parent spoke to me today about how she's actually chained in the food that she feeds her children so that she can work towards affording them to go back to school next year. So she's taking advantage of special offers in school, or sorry, in supermarkets and feeding the food she knows isn't good for them. Mm. But it's the only way she can afford to to put, buy money to pay for back to school. They're getting into debt, um, but taking loans, running up credit card bills. You have parents not seeing doctors, neglecting themselves, not seeing doctors because they need to put buy money for back to school. It's as serious as that. And they're they're missing out. They're saying they have children who all summer, perhaps they're not doing anything yeah. nice with them. No day trips, no treats, nothing because they're really to the pin of their collar with the cost. Yeah, other things are taking a yeah. hit. Um, the little pleasures in life for mm -hmm. kids when they're off school yeah. as well. And the activities are supposed to keep kids and families uh, occupied as well during the summer. Um, let's talk about that, Niall Collins. I mean, look, on those costs, I mentioned €814 Euro for a first-year pupil, fifth-year pupil, €722, Euro. fourth-class pupil, uh, slightly lower there in primary school, it's €424. Euro. It's still an awful lot of money. Couldn't the government be doing more? Yeah, look, I mean, government, we absolutely recognise that there is a, a significant and an increased cost in terms of going back to school. Um, you've outlined that we did increase the, the back to school allowance, um, 260 euros for a child aged under 11 and uh, 300, up to 385 euros for a child aged above 11. Yeah, but uh, when I, you I look at those costs that we're talking about, so 424 in fourth class, that doesn't, that doesn't yeah, cover those costs. And, and that's what people who are already struggling, who literally do not have yeah, the money and we recognize that. fall into that threshold. We, we recognise that and, and, and the Taoiseach and the government ha has said that we will have a cost of living budget um, coming now in September. We brought it back earlier. And uh, as part of that, we will look at some immediate payments in, in terms of helping people in the here and now, uh, in terms of dealing with the cost of living. And, you know, we, we can look at areas of making uh, direct payments to vulnerable groups like mm. people who qualify for the back to school allowance or, or you can also look at universal measures. So they are all um, issues which are... What about extending the back to school allowance so that more families fall into that? That's yeah. something Sinn Féin are calling for. They're well, saying well, an extra 500,000 um, children should, you know, be getting falling into this increase yeah, back well, to school well, allowance. Look, in the North of Ireland, they, they, they give people 40 
pounds well, we don't sterling. Have, sterling. But anyway, um, well, we don't you, actually you, have Sinn Féin you, you can, with us tonight. You, you but, can but, look but at clearly we've heard from yeah, Bernardo's but, but, as well. We've heard from Suzanne's absolutely. point of view that not enough families are able to avail of that allowance. Well, the, the, the message that I that I want to give our viewers is that that we're looking at all options. We're looking at eligibility thresholds. We're looking at making an across-the-board payment. We have. When's uh, that though? Uh, that, That's in the budget. That will come in the budget. So the budget. Yes, so that's pre-September. So the budget will have two measures. It will have a package of immediate payments, which will be, which, which will be made this year, and it will also obviously have the budget. Uh, will outline the budget and the spending measures for next year in 2023. So I, I think um, we have to get it right in terms of targeting, but also we have the squeeze middle people who don't qualify for some of the the payments, like the back to school, like the fuel allowance. And, uh, you know, they gave us a clear message earlier in the year as well when they didn't qualify for anything. These are people who are out working, who are falling between all the stools. So it's about getting the balance yeah. right. But we're very, very cognizant of all the, like we've abolished school transport fees. Well, we'll we've talk a little bit more about those because I know there are some the schools, issues. We've increased the schools, meals, you know. Yeah, there you know, are people, there, there, there are people in rural areas going on and in they're the talking about, they're talking, Minister, about the cost of fuel um, and, and actually making a decision to to walk to school mm -hmm. instead of driving to school um, if they're in a position mm -hmm. to do so. So certainly all of those are feeding into as well. So school transport isn't obviously getting to everyone who needs it. Uh, Mick Barry, your view on that. Um, we're going to have a rounded budget, um, according to Niall Collins, that's going to help a lot of people who are right now struggling with those back to school costs that we've been talking about. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about right now um, what people are dealing with. I mean, this is an incredible situation. We've had reports of uh, parents who are unable to sleep because of the worry and the anxiety. Uh, we've had reports of people who are cutting back on going to see the doctor. And we've had reports on people cutting back on the food for themselves and their families. I mean, this is the reality of the capitalist Ireland that Niall Collins and his government are presiding over. And people don't want jam tomorrow talk about the budget in the autumn, et cetera, et cetera. The question is, what needs to be done now? And two very simple things that could be done. First of all, the back to school allowance for every one family that avails of that or qualifies, there's three who do not. The figure of 500,000 children being locked out of that scheme has been mentioned. They should be brought in and they should be brought in for this year. Okay. And second of all, we should look at what happens in some other European countries. Ordinary people have waged battles on this in other European countries and have won reforms and change. And some of them are, are changes that should be um, implemented in this country as well. Right. For example, in, in France, just for, for the point of information, in France, uh, school books, the cost is covered entirely by the state. And in Belgium, those costs are covered by the state for school books and for materials. These are the kind of changes we need to see here. What about those changes now, Collins? Is that something you'd be in favour of? Yeah, so presently 260,000 uh, children avail or benefit from the, the back to school allowance. 230,000 children um, um, benefit from the, the free meal scheme. Uh, we have book rentals. We've eliminated the cost of, of school transport. We have done um, some measures in the sector. What I'm saying to you quite clearly is the budget is coming in September and there will be a suite of immediate payments um, made this year to help people who are vulnerable. But we, we can also look at some universal payments which will help people who don't qualify 
for payments like the back okay. to school the, or like the fuel allowance, mm. people who wouldn't be right. categorized as vulnerable, look, people just, who are working and contributing I to the state. And I think it's important Nile, that they get helped also. Yeah. Mm. Nile, I want to get um, the response there, I suppose, from Bernard as you're working with families. What are you hearing about the book rental scheme? What are you hearing about these supports that Niall Collins says, well, they're in place for people? Well, in our survey, 50% of parents of children in secondary school said that they did have a book rental scheme available and 69% of parents and children in primary school. So that is welcome. However, I don't understand why the government can't have free school books, make uniforms affordable and consider ending voluntary contributions. And I would like, if possible, if Niall could answer the, the question that Mick asked, which is why can't we make school books free for children? Yeah, well, we, we have 17 million euros uh, put into the book rental scheme. And, and I think the points that you'll be no, making... We're talking, that's a book rental scheme. Um, education isn't free in this country. Is that a problem for you? You're, you're a minister in this area. You, you, know, you know it's not a problem. And, and you, know, you know exactly um, that the Department of Education is one of our highest spending uh, departments. A lot of resources are put into education. It's still costing uh, hundreds and, and, of euros to send so. a child to school but, every but year. But I, I think it's important to point out um, government will have to step up to the plate in terms of the capitation grants they give schools this year because of the, the cost of energy. So there's a lot of moving parts within the economy, a lot of moving forces which are impacting in terms of how government can respond to the, the cost of living crisis. And we've always said, we've been honest with people, we won't be able to buffer people entirely yes. against uh, the but, increase but in cost Jen, of living. As Jen has stated here, and we're going to hear from a school principal now, this isn't a problem that's just come up this year. This is every year that we But spending on education parents. has increased year on year. I think that's... that. We, okay, but it's not free. Education is free. I mean, ter in terms of asking for voluntary... It's not free, there's voluntary contributions. Voluntary contributions are exactly that. Yeah, well, and I many, think schools... Many parents my, would say my, they're not my, my own, my own they're, they're not legislated for. Uh, if you take this year, for example, if the state is to give uh, an increase in capitation to schools, I, I think it's wrong of any school to ask a parent for a voluntary contribution. I don't All know... Right. That, I so don't if know, there's uh, an increase or in the budget or an announcement around that... Voluntary like, contributions that, that, should be that, gone. That's my view. That's going to be a huge shortfall, I would imagine, for schools, judging by the size of some of the voluntary contributions that they ask for. And they do vary around the country. You might have somebody in a rural community, community a school asking for €80. Euro. But when you get into urban areas, you're getting up to 200 300 400 even €500. Euro. These are huge amounts, sometimes capped for families, sometimes not. And I mean, if, if this is something that parents are asked for and they're also, they feel pressurised to pay it. I understand that. And, and I, 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 a figure that I don't know, uh, which hasn't been nailed down, is what is the percentage of people that pay voluntary contributions. But certainly, if if state, if the state, my my view is, my personal view is, if the state is stepping up to the plate and giving more money to education, increasing, for example, as I said, the cap, the, the the capitation allowance, uh, I think it's wrong of schools. Schools shouldn't be asking for a voluntary contribution. I'm sure we'll, we'll swiftly um, hear from schools in reaction to that. But first, I want to get a reaction. Um, from, from a principal, because earlier we spoke to Rachel Harper, who's principal at St. Patrick's National School in Greystones, and I began by asking her what she was seeing on the ground. Yes, I think in general, parents are definitely feeling the impact of returning to school along with spiralling costs of living um, increases. Um, and parents are, you know, they're making more conscious decisions, um, such as leaving the car behind and walking and cycling where possible or carpooling. Um, and regarding extracurricular activities, they might be cutting down on those. Um, and, and speaking with other principals in the area, we're certainly noticing that um, families are unfortunately having to move uh, their children are perfectly happy out of school simply because they can't keep up with spiralling rents um, and also if they are buying, considering buying, that they have 
have to move um, out of the area because they simply can't afford housing in the area. But I think, to be honest, Claire, it's very hard to know how many families exactly are struggling in school. I'm sure there's a lot more than we're aware of and there will be a lot more in the future. And Rachel, what can schools do to help? Yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of things and, and schools are definitely trying their best. That's for sure. Um, I know that most schools um, have put in the book rental scheme uh, and that just helps parents simply because they don't have to buy the whole amount of books. They can rent the books um, and uh, following on them the next year, then they can be passed on. Um, but I really want to emphasise and, and get across tonight, Claire, that if there are families out there um, and they are struggling, it's really important that they go to their principal um, because their principal will liaise with the board of management. And if the board of management and the school can help, they certainly will. Um, and if they need outside support, so they'll direct them to the correct um, agencies or supports that are needed. Um, it's just important to notify the school. Uh, the issue of um, voluntary contributions is something that's been put into the spotlight as a result of the cost of living crisis and um, the struggles that, that some many parents have um, with school costs. Uh, would you say that that's, uh, from a school's perspective, um, a lack of funding in schools that means that that, that cost, you know, is passed on to parents? Yes, I mean, like the government, we do, we do get grants, we do get various grants throughout the year, but there's always a shortfall, I do agree. Um, but I think it's really important to remember and to highlight that voluntary contributions are voluntary. Um, so there's no pressure put on parents to pay them. But if they can pay them, they're certainly utilised greatly within the school, the day-to-day -day running and, you know, keeping schools to the standard that they are. Okay, Rachel Harper, uh, Principal at uh, Greystone St. Patrick's School. Thank you so much for joining us tonight with your views there. I want to bring Jen Hogan back in on this discussion just around the issue of uniforms and crested uniforms and that being a huge outlay for parents uh, that schools, I suppose, were supposed to do uh, more about. But obviously... Again, there's an issue there, isn't there? Have that issue. I mean, there was a circular issue in 2017 yeah. saying that um, schools schools were to provide a situation where, where there were uniforms that could be purchased in various different shops, crests were to be iron on or so on. And yet we still have a situation where schools are still going along with crested uniforms, crested jumpers, crested jackets, crested tracksuits, crested polo shirts. And these are much more expensive and usually only can be purchased in the one shop. So this, there doesn't seem to be any move to make schools stop doing this. It seems to rest with individual boards of management and nothing has happened here in spite of this coming from, from government? Yeah, so, so gov we've been quite clear in relation to this. The government has given a circular to each school and we've set out the position exactly as you've articulated and that's how it should, that's how it should play out. Um, and there's no reason in my mind why any school should deviate from that because it's putting an, un an unnecessary burden on schools, and I think it's for each Does board it need of management. To be though, I know it's up to each mm -hmm. board of management, but the boards well, of management say, you know, our school is unique, or we want to do this, and, or you and, know, there's so many schools of management in the area. Are, and boards with the structure of boards of management are autonomous. But I mean, for, for me, as a parent with kids going to school, I mean, I, I don't, I can't see logically how any school can argue that they can deviate from the circular. I mean, it makes common sense. Well, that, I, that, that I'm it's, just thinking of the handful full of schools uh, in my area, and they're they're all. Yeah, well, well, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be. I mean, that's the point. Advice, yeah. and, and that's the message from government and that's the view from government. And just to make the point also, people who are experiencing financial so hardship... So who's not listening just on the issue, say, of uniforms alone? What, uh, what's that about? Well, obviously, the school management and the school board of management. They're the people who are driving this. Government, have, we, we've made our position clear in it. Mm. 
which is exactly as, as Jen has articulated. Mm. That's the way it should be. But I would, I would encourage people who are experiencing financial hardship to go to their community welfare officer where they can get an oh, exceptional no, really. needs one-off oh, payment. Grant, I think Nick Barry briefly wants to come in there. Yeah, just to be clear on this point about uh, community welfare officers. I mean, people will go to community welfare officers and they will get supplementary welfare and it will assist some people in uh, putting the kids back to school. And also some people will go to principals and have conversations with principals and, and that will assist and smooth the way. But people should not have to be going mm -hmm. to community welfare officers or principals uh, to look for assistance in this uh, situation. Education is not free. We wouldn't be having this discussion uh, if it was free. 70% of people in the poll say that the voluntary contributions are not really voluntary, that they feel real pressure in having to uh, uh, pay them. We need free education in this country and we're a long way from it. And it should be a right for young people, not something that you have to go to the principal and have a private conversation or okay. go to the community welfare officer, important as they are in the mm -hmm. current circumstances. And do you know, people shouldn't have to do sure, that. Sure, Mick. And the issue of stigma comes in there as well, doesn't it, Suzanne? Yeah. Like, as mentioned by the principal that we were chatting to earlier, you know, Rachel was saying that actually there's many people who probably really are struggling, but they're not going to the school about it or they don't feel in a position to tell people about it. Of course not. And what parents have told us is they feel a sense of shame and and humiliation. And I don't think any parent should have to go to a, to a board of manager and say they need support. I think they should be supported by the government. Mm -hmm. We can afford it. We're a wealthy country. Yeah, the, the bottom, just briefly, the bottom line has always been that the measures that you, groups like yourselves have said measures should be targeted. Are you saying actually they need to be less targeted now or they need to be widened? They need to be more universal and across the board? They absolutely do now in the context of the cost of living crisis. Yeah. All right, there we leave it. My thanks to Mick Barry, uh, Suzanne Connolly and Jen Hogan. Niall Collins is staying with me as next we discuss new fines for the most serious driving offences. Do they go far enough? Welcome back. People breaking the most serious of driving offences will be hit with new fines in an effort to curb fatalities on the roads. They include speeding, mobile phone use and not wearing a seatbelt. Speeding will go up from €80 Euro to €160. Euro. 94 people have already lost their lives on the roads so far this year, with more than 600 seriously injured. Well, I'm joined once again by Niall Collins. I'm also joined by Geraldine Herbert, motoring editor at the Sunday Independent, and Leo Ligio, Irish Road Victims Association campaigner. We will get to our panel in a minute, but earlier I spoke to Paula Hillman, the Assistant Commissioner of Roads, Policing and Community Engagement with Don Garda Siakona. And I began by asking uh, Paula about that alarming rise in road traffic incidents. Well, it, it is alarming because behind every one of those uh, figures is a family, community, um, friends who have lost a loved one, and, and we never lose sight of that. When we look at what, what we see on our roads, it's a combination of factors. Undoubtedly speeding, and we've had a recent campaign, hashtag slow down, encouraging everyone to slow down on the roads. Uh, drink and drug driving also causes uh, fatal and serious injury collisions, so never drive uh, under the influence of drink or drugs. Also wear your seatbelt. Uh, unfortunately, we are seeing and incidents where uh, a part of our investigations that people are no longer wearing their seatbelts. 
wearing your seatbelt could save your life or save your passenger's life. So please wear your seatbelt. And then finally, inattention. Don't be distracted by mobile phone or, or other distractions on the road. Mm. Uh, interesting that you're saying about seatbelt wearing because a lot of people would have thought, you know, we're complying with the law on that one. Yeah. Uh, the campaign around that one has been ongoing for decades, uh, but not so. What are you putting this uh, rise in, in, in law-breaking around seatbelts down to? It is, and we've seen it, unfortunately. I was actually talking to uh, a doctor this morning up in Letterkenny when we launched our, our August road safety campaign, and, and he was saying the same. I, I think it's with people, I think a lot of people think it's never going to happen to me. I may not be in that collision. And as we're seeing, and those who are killed and seriously injured on in our roads, it's right across all age groups. So, you know. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's really the message for, for everyone is please wear your seatbelt. Okay, let's talk about the fines, the deterrents that are in place. Fines have been announced that they are going to increase, doubled from 80 euro to 160 euro in the area of speeding. Uh, there were more than 88,000 people caught speeding between January and July of this year. Do you think that the fines that were in place were simply not enough at 80 euro? Well, I think there was um, mention of, of, of the fines and, and the increase, uh, lack of increase over recent years in comparable, comparison to other fines as well. Certainly, we will work within the legislation in the country and the fines, if we detect people, the fines then are a matter for the legislators and for government. But I think anything that deters people and encourages people to drive more safely, which will help reduce those killed and seriously injured in our roads, is to be welcomed. Yeah, because some road safety campaigners would say, you know, the fear of penalty points may prompt people to change their behaviour more, um, the fear of losing your licence, of losing your livelihood, that they would be a greater deterrent. Um, but is there evidence from the guards that a, a simple fine in the case of going from 80 euro to 160 euro, do you believe that will provide that deterrent? Well, I think it's a starting point, and the Minister covered this this morning, that the issue around the penalty points needs legislation, and that will take slightly longer. So I think it's that phased approach with the fines starting first and, and points coming then thereafter. 
Okay. Uh, you, you say you're targeted, uh, you're, you're, you're in favour of targeted enforcement and we're looking around the issue of speed cameras on this one. There are an additional 61 speed cameras going in place on national roads. Are they going to target spots where heretofore people just, you know, would have, would have just um, driven without any caution? Uh, how have those specific spots been chosen? Yes, well, we've identified another 61 zones. That's, that's the road area. Uh, in total, we will be rolling out 250. They are, they will be, the 61 going operational today are on our website, so that they've been on the website for the last week. Um, we identified those both by looking at, and we do this historically as well, where we've had fatal serious injury and minor collisions. So we look at what, what does the data tell us about where uh, collisions are happening. And then secondly, for these 61, we've also had input from local senior guardies. So what, what are their local communities telling them? What are their road safety groups telling them? Uh, and we will assess those and work with uh, our, our partners in Go Safe. And, and it is important, you know, we know August is a high-risk month. Part of today's campaign uh, was very much about you know, wishing people, we want people to have a really good bank holiday weekend. Mm -hmm. But last August bank holiday weekend, 22 people, um, sorry, last August, 22 people throughout the whole month lost their lives in Irish roads. So August is a high risk month for us. And we know this um, uh, from, from previous years. And it's really important. We also know that, you know, for people going on their holidays and, and coming back after the long weekend, uh, Thursday and Friday afternoons and Tuesday afternoons particularly, we would encourage people to drive safely. Okay, Assistant Commissioner Paula Hillman, thank you for joining us on the programme tonight. Thank you. Now, my panel is still here with me and uh, let's, let's talk about those fines and, and what we're hearing about them. They have been doubled in the case of speeding, in the case of mobile phone use uh, and also around seatbelt uh, wearing. What do you make of it, Ger, as somebody, I suppose, who, who writes consistently about driving but very familiar uh, with the way motorists work and operate? Well, I'm always astounded at the figure that one in four people, one in four fatalities are result with people not wearing their seatbelt. I mean, it's extraordinary that people in this day and age get into a car completely. When you consider that most cars bleep you and constantly to remind you, it's not something that you ha you'd have to make a conscious effort not to wear one. So I think that's really, really worrying. I think what's also worrying about the statistics at the moment is not only are they up on last year, they're up on 2019, which was the last sort of normal year of driving. Also, what is very worrying is they're across all of the age groups. So Clearly, the message about road safety is not getting through anywhere. You know, the, the, this is not just young people who are risky drivers and taking risks on the road. This is across the board. There is a serious issue. And I think this is something that should gravely concern policymakers, the Department of Transport and the RSA, because something is going wrong with the way we're communicating road safety message at the moment. So the question is, by increasing fines, will that be a deterrent or is it around penalty points? Like what will work here? I don't think there's one thing, Claire. I think we have to look at enforcement as a huge thing because there's a very direct um, connection between um, compliance and the risk of getting caught. And we see that with the average speed cameras on the M7 in County Tipperary at the moment. There has been a huge reduction in the amount of people breaking the speed limit simply because they know they're going to get caught. So enforcement is a big thing. We need huge investment in that. We need investment in engineering as well. We can engineer out risks from roads. We know that from motorways. They're statistically the safest roads people drive on. There's very few collisions every year, very few fatalities because they're safe. We could make our rural roads safe as well and we need education and that goes back to this idea of educating all age groups about the road safety message. Um, Leo, you're here because you campaign uh, around the issue of road safety because of your own daughter's death um, at the hands of a hit and run driver in 2005 and your daughter Marcia was just 16. What happened to her? 
she was crossing the road at a set of pedestrian lights and a, a non-drug addict flipped motor down, traveling about 80 kilometers an hour and uh, way over the speed limit. And obviously, Marsha hadn't got a chance. She survived for a week in hospital with us by our bedside all that time. And it's the thing people don't see. And even 17 years later, it's, it's still tough. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And, you know, we hear the statistics and we get reaction from people to what, what needs to be done and what deterrents need to be put in place. But from your point of view, as a father, but someone who also feels really strongly and, and campaigns for safer roads, what do you think of the efforts that are being made to date around reducing speeding, around deterring speeding drivers and uh, other people who are flouting the rules of the road? It's not enough, not, not nearly enough. The fines, they're not gonna work. There has to be a proper deterrent out there. There has to be proper enforcement. Like, God rest his soul, Gayborn said, they need more yellow jackets. I don't see those yellow jackets out there on the streets. I drove from Baltinglass to, to Klonski, from Klonski to Walkinstown, Walkinstown to Leek, slipping back down here, and I never see one guard, not even one guard a car. Penalty points need to be doubled. There has to be a fear out there. It's the only way it's gonna get through to people that there's a it's fear of losing their license, fear of losing their livelihood. And then, the law enforcement, the judges have to stop taking excuses like, I'm going to, my livelihood, my, I'm going to lose my house because I'm going to lose my job. The time for thinking of that was when he got behind that steering wheel and decided to break the law. Do you think there needs to be more Nalcons to bring you in on this? Um, and we did hear that announcement about more um, speed cameras being put in place and fines being doubled, but that penalty points or that drivers who do speed, who do break the law, are really fearful about what will happen if they get caught. Yeah, I, I think a lot has been done um, in the last number of years in relation to road safety. Um, it's a very, very important issue. I think it's something that we all take serious. Um, it's my view when I travel the roads up and down the country a lot. Um, I see a lot of enforcement. Um, I, I think obviously... What about, what about what Leo had to say there about his journey here tonight where he went, you know, from... One yeah. location, A to B, B to C, and I, I, all the I, way along the I way, can, he didn't I, see much of the way. I can just give you my. I, I, I can just give you my experience. I, I see a lot of enforcement on the roads that I'm that I'm travelling, and that's good. I think we need to see more. I think the rollout of the extra zones uh, where um, there'll be speed enforcement and speed monitoring is the right thing because those zones are statistically shown to be uh, high danger hotspots. I sit, for example, on the Joint Policing Committee in Limerick as an Oireachtas member. I see the work that the, the Roads Policing Unit are doing there. For example, uh, the, the numbers of people who are detected for drug driving um, is staggering. So we have to invest a lot too, I think, in, in education. Do you think, there, so, do you think so it there is... are enough people being detected for drug driving, for drink driving and for speeding? I mean, this mention of Garda Presence, we saw it rolled out in force during COVID-19 when there were checkpoints around COVID restrictions and staying within your 2K or your 5K. And it is true to say you won't see the level of guards on the roads now checking for other, other matters. Yeah, so look, the, the economy is back. I mean, the society has opened up. Um, the the, the so police what, had a very so visible. The, the, the guard had a very busy, had a very visible had a very visible issues. presence um, in, in terms of when the country was in lockdown. So I don't think that's a an adequate comparison. But but I think the point is made is right. It's a multifaceted approach. It's education. It's investment. It's enforcement. 
Um, and in particular, I think a lot of our younger people are, are very, very cognizant of uh, their responsibilities. Uh, and there is strict regulation and strict um, rules around in terms of the number of um, lessons uh, a learner driver has to go through in the, the whole yeah. learner driver system and the, the, the novice driver system. So there's a lot going on. But, but I think we have to keep in mind also population is up. Uh, car numbers on the road is up. Car journeys are up. Uh, you know, a, yeah, lot, a lot of the statistics are up, and obviously, even ro- in comparison ro- 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 to 2019 figures, I, I, it's I, not, I, you're I not comparing, that. you know, it with COVID. I, I accept that, and, and I personally, I would have no issue with the fines being doubled because the fines right. haven't been updated in a number of years. Jar, um, is there a, a behavioural issue? Do you think in, in Irish people's psyche, if they can think they get get away with it, they will? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And as I said, the M7 is a classic example of that, where the average speed cameras are. You tell people they got caught, they will modify their behaviour. But I really think that um, Leo being here tonight makes a huge difference because what people fail to remember is behind every grim statistic, there is a devastated family. The other really scary statistic is for every fatality on the road, there are nine people seriously injured and at least three of those have life-changing um, injuries. These people we don't read about in the papers, they don't make the headlines. But, you know, that for the number then that have, have died already on this on the roads, that equates to nearly 300 people with life-changing injuries and we're in July. I mean, they are frightening statistics and, you know, we should do everything we can. You know, there, there should be no, um, uh, there should be no targets or ambitions that are too ambitious. We really have to, to do something about this. Uh, Leo, do you believe there's enough of an urgency around this? No, not, not at all. The, like I said, fines, they're not going to work. On their own, they're not going to work unless the penalty points are increased. It's the penalty points that need to be doubled. The fines need to be graduated fines. Uh, like Shane Ross wanted to bring in the graduated speed fines. I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm. Like if you're driving five kilometres over the speed limit, you're going to be fined the same as someone driving 50 kilometres over the speed limit. There's no justice now. Where's the fairness in that? Someone who's uh, somebody who's on, this, on social welfare is going to get fined 160 euros. Somebody's on 200,000 a year is going to get 160 euros. It should be based on the salary as well. And I would like to ask the Minister, if the penalty points are going to be doubled, how long is this going to take? Well, there's, there has been no decision in relation to doubling of penalty points um, at all. Um, Why not? I mean, sorry, there's a decision around doubling of fines, but a lot of people are saying yeah, well, we, fines we... is one thing. And exactly, if you've got the money and you can pull it out of your back pocket, it's absolutely no deterrent to anyone. The issue uh, of penalty points actually may put off um, a driver and, and may, we had, may enforce a we, change in behaviour. We, we, we had a number of years ago when Shane Ross was minister, there was a, um, a change in the whole penalty point. Uh, there was a change, there was an updating of, of uh, penalty points that were applicable for, for various offences back then. Um, so it would require legislation. That's what something. What do you think of that idea that Leo said that it was, but Shane Ross had proposed around graduated speeding fines? Yeah, the, these things obviously anything can be considered, but you know, my my own personal view is doubling penalty points isn't the silver bullet that's going to achieve uh, zero road deaths. Uh, there, there are issues there, for example, like driver error that you can't account for or legislate for. There, there, there are reasons why accidents happen, why unfortunate, tragic circumstances happen. We're never going to eliminate to zero. No, we want to get as close to that as possible. With, with, so with a doubling of fines. The, 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 point, the point that I would make to you is this. Uh, it's about a suite of measures. It's about engineering. It's about education. It's about enforcement. Uh, penalty points isn't the solution on its own, in my view. 
Okay, um, there we'll have to uh, leave it on that discussion. My thanks to the panel who've joined us tonight. Uh, now to other news today, and a serving Garda has been sentenced to three and a quarter years in prison after admitting to torturing and terrorising a woman ill with cancer. Well, earlier I spoke to our court supporter, Deborah Naylor, about what was heard in court today. And we must warn you that some of the details in this case are distressing. Yeah, well, we heard the details um, of this case yesterday, largely at the sentence hearing. And I suppose the as you said, the very shocking evidence was outlined in court. We heard that um, the Garda, who we, we could today name as uh, Paul Moody, that he met his then partner, Nicola, in 2017. They began dating. She described him in the beginning as the perfect gentleman. They got on really well. But I suppose what we heard was after not that long that that mask fell and what was outlined to the court was an orchestrated campaign of, of just vile, um, abusive messages that he sent her. He bombarded her with hundreds of thousands of messages or tens of thousands over a four-year period. Um, and he was stationed at Irish Town Garda Station at the time, but she said that she wasn't just fighting cancer at the time because, of course, we have heard that uh, she is someone who is terminally ill, but she said that she was up against a monster. So just the, the, the detail that was laid in court, um, we heard all of, you know, all of the, the things he called her in, in these messages over the years. And in fact, a lot of it you can't even repeat. It was that obscene and the judge referred to that today. But he really, he terrorised her, he tortured her. Um, and in the end, uh, he pleaded guilty to a charge, of course, of control. But 19 other charges in this case were taken into consideration and they included charges of harassment, criminal damage, assaults, threat to kill, theft and, and so forth. Deborah Naylor there. And just to let you know, you can contact helplines on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash helplines. And on the discussion that we had just a little earlier there um, about road crashes, uh, we want to include Leo's charity helpline for anyone impacted by road fatalities, by road crashes. It's the Irish Road Victims Association and their helpline number is 086-863-4194. Now, lots more after this break. After a chaotic summer, Dublin Airport is setting out its plan for the upcoming bank holiday. Stay with us. If you're flying out of Dublin Airport in the next few weeks, you'll want to keep watching. The Dublin Airport Authority and Aer Lingus have been up in front of the Oireachtas Committee laying out their plan for the rest of the summer. The Dublin Airport Authority says that things are much improved. Well over 90% of people under 45 minutes and, and over 80% over th under 30 minutes will continue through the weekends. But it isn't all, all good news because Aer Lingus say that they can't guarantee that more flights uh, won't be cancelled throughout the summer. We are being um, told to do mandatory cancellations, particularly from Amsterdam uh, and from Heathrow, to reduce uh, our flights uh, and the number of flights we had planned. We're seeing security screening issues in these airports. We're seeing baggage system failures in these airports, particularly at Amsterdam uh, and at Heathrow. 
Uh, well, now Collins is still with me. I'm joined by editor of Air and Travel Magazine, Owen Carey, and via Skype tonight by adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at NUI Galway, Patrick O'Kady, who is the former CEO of Air Aaron. Um, you're welcome along to the programme. Owen Carey, to come to you first, we had, as I say, the DAA and Air Lingus up in front of an Oireachtas committee today. They've been blamed for much of the problems that we're seeing at Dublin Airport so far um, this summer. What do you make of what they're saying now? Because uh, we are hearing from Aer Lingus saying, stop people coming early to the airport. That's what should happen. That, that's causing more problems. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. A couple of interesting things out of today. One was Lynn Emberton's uh, clear statement. People are presenting too early. Everybody knows people are presenting too early. Much easier to say that than to persuade a family uh, to come you know, within the reasonable length of time, given what happened at the end of May at the airport. So there has been a huge breach of trust between Dublin Airport and the airlines that are conveying these people and the families who are going on their holidays. It's going to take a little bit more than an Oireachtas Transport Committee appearance to regain that trust. Interesting, they talked about uh, dealing with that baggage mountain uh, 1,800 bags missing at any given time, getting that down uh, to 1,200. That's supposed to be some sort of an achievement, but uh, more than 500 bags a day are being lost, just 267 on the sky handling side. A couple of things that the uh, air baggage handlers in particular threw back at the politicians mm. is that there's a little bit of bureaucracy, a bureaucracy about driving licences, bureaucracy about security clearances, things like that that could be tidied up but we're certainly not going to see um, the summer magically turn back into a, a, a normal summer over the next few weeks. What we are seeing is those uh, cancellations for COVID mm -hmm. being reduced by Aer Lingus, largely because they've hired in uh, crew and staff from other airlines, wet leased in aircraft to get through that. I want to bring Prodig Okeda here in on this. Um, what do you make of what we've seen so far this summer at Dublin Airport? Because that's where the problem is, Porig. And and what do you make of what, what uh, we've heard from the Oireachtas Committee today, Dublin Airport saying, look, you know, we're doing well now. Things are getting back on track for us. Yeah, well, Claire, they're not getting back on track. And uh, I don't agree with the statement Vincent Harrison made today to the Oireachtas Committee on Transport. In actual fact, just this morning, Eurocontrol sent out figures in relation to arrivals and departures out of all of the main European airports. And Dublin is down at the very, very last rung of that. For example, in relation to arrivals, just roughly 51% of flights are on time coming in and out, coming into Dublin and departures 49%. There was one in every two flights are delayed or not on time. Not the 85, 90% that he's talking about and so on. On time is basically 15 minutes in aviation terms. So that is thereabouts the worst in Europe. Like Madrid is 76% uh, arrivals. Uh, Charles or Orle is 75% or so. Helsinki is over 70%. So that's the first thing. So Dublin is a particular basket case, unfortunately, and frankly, that's the situa situation. What caused it? Poor decision-making by senior management and board, letting go of too many staff, uh, too many experienced and skilled staff, and trying to replace them. In fairness, they've replaced some of those. They've replaced, replaced a couple of hundred staff at this stage, but it is going to take time. It's going to be 
probably March, April of next year before we yeah. see things stabilising mm. again in Dublin Airport. Of course, haven't other airports, didn't they do likewise during the pandemic, let go of a lot of staff and then had those critical staffing shortages when everything reopened and business was uh, busier than they anticipated? Well, that's what the DAA said. Yeah, that's what the DA said. Uh, other airports, in some cases, yes, they've let go of staff, but not in the quantities and in the particular areas that Dublin Airport let go of staff. A lot of other airports were a lot more conservative in letting go of staff rather than just kind of a, a blank or a blanket let go of, particularly skilled staff, over a thousand skilled staff. That takes time to get that experience and they got training back again. Uh, under EASA, the European Aviation Safety Authority rules and guidelines, there are very, very significant training to be done and an experience to be gained in order for somebody to actually go and do their job at airports, particularly the ones, the jobs that have been lost. So, yes, Claire, some have been in relation to other airports. Like, for example, take Ryanair. Ryanair let go of very, very few staff during the COVID pandemic. They held on to the vast majority of staff. And now today we see that Ryanair passenger numbers are 14% above what they were at the peak at this time in 2019. So it's not true and it's not being upfront and honest to say that this is Dublin Airport saying this is happening uh, all over Europe. Sure. It is, but not to the extent it happened in Dublin. Poor decision making, a basket case of an airport. Now, Collins, what do you say to that? Yeah, we, we, we gave this a good airing about a month ago or two months ago in May when we had that uh, pinch point in May and the Dublin Airport Authority has pulled some of it back. It has improved. I've travelled through Dublin Airport myself twice recently, once on uh, a work uh, journey and once on a, on a private journey. Um, and uh, it has improved. Um, I, I could see a noticeable difference um, between those two journeys. I'd like to see the airline, more airlines um, using our provincial airports, using Shannon, using Cork, using Knock, using Farron 4. I don't think there's enough of that. There's huge capacity in our other airports uh, around the country. Uh, and it's, it, it's beyond me why we don't have more flights coming from, from those um, regional airports around, around the country. Um, and okay. ju just, just a final word in, in relation to it. They, they, they've got their act together, but they still have a long way to go. OK, we're out of time. That's it from us. My thanks to all my guests here tonight, but from all the late team, good night. Take care.